2: Welcome to the show, the Monday afternoon program. As we begin a new week, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program we've dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, um, take prayer requests, anything that's on your heart. We we want to open our hearts and do the best that we can. All you need to do is call us. You can dial area code 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call uh, toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send the questions in that way. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Had a good day yesterday in church. I, I pray that you did as well. I pray that Jesus was exalted. I pray Even more that people got saved at your church. We had people get saved here yesterday. And that's always a a source of encouragement. I told them just we're, we're getting closer by the convert to the return of Jesus for his church. And I can't wait for that to happen uh tonight here at calvary chapel is our men's women's and youth bible studies at seven o'clock everybody worships together and then they sort of spread out our ladies will be doing uh this monday and next uh retreat reflection we just got back from our retreat i thank you for all of you who were praying and many of you let us know that you were praying uh retreat was wonderful um Had a whole bunch of ladies who've been here for a long, long time say this was the best one ever. We have a tendency to say that after a retreat because God met us. But that was the neatest thing. God met people. Uh, Our daughters-in-law, Paula's and mine, were here, and uh, we got to stay with them uh, Saturday night. They came to church here before they got on the airplane to go back home, and that was neat. So uh, we really did have a good time with them, and and the the retreat went spectacularly. And so we thank you. If any of you in the audience who don't call Calvary Chapel your church home, uh, if you'd like to sort of live vicariously through the experiences of those who did go to the retreat, Uh, You can do that by coming in or watching online at calvarysa.com tonight at 7 o'clock. Well, let me get some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls, and we'd love you to call. This one is from Mo, uh, from our email inbox. Uh, He or she, and I don't know which, says, Our preacher says it's impossible for those with material wealth to go to heaven, so my grandfather has been frantically dispensing with his assets primarily to the church. What constitutes material wealth beyond the threshold for admittance? Uh, example: a particular percentile of the population. The preacher says, "Her 2020 Bentley, and I don't can't pronounce the name of the model, is not hers, but Lisa, the church." So I guess that is to to uh, for, for us to understand that it's okay for her to have a 2020 Bentley, a luxury automobile. Mo, there's so much wrong with with um, the the short. Uh, email you sent. Um, you, the, the, the preacher is a woman. Uh, that is a church not operating under the blessing of God. Uh, it's that simple. Um, her message is um, so far wrong that I can't even describe how wrong and hurtful and painful it is. Um, You know, whenever I see questions like this, and I know that people get up to go to church, they want to meet with Jesus, and they get this kind of nonsense, and it scares me to death. It it breaks my heart, that's for sure. But it scares me to death because people change lives. Their lives are completely thrown apart because of this kind of bad teaching. Um, Please get your grandfather help um uh, if I don't know where you live mo, but I would be willing to talk with him because uh what she said about material wealth, people with material wealth to go to heaven uh and it's impossible uh is just it's wrong and it's hurtful um your grandfather and and of course the churches say we'll give the wealth to the church um that's just plain heresy. It's it's heresy, and your grandfather needs to be stopped. Um, encourage him, pray for him. But what she said is impossibly false. It it, it is a, a a an insidious lie, and uh, your your grandfather needs to be protected. I'm not suggesting, even hinting, that your grandmother or grandfather rather is not able to make those decisions for himself but he's bought into a lie and that's not true we get older where our, our hearts are set more on heaven and and i realize how this kind of manipulation and i believe with all of my heart that deepest darkest hell is reserved for the people that would do this kind of thing uh, a preacher that would give this kind of a message uh, is a liar a false teacher uh, probably although i don't know them i can't judge uh, probably not saved uh, and they're they're uh, fleecing the flock. Uh, so there is no threshold of wealth for admittance. I know and have benefited by some fabulously wealthy people who love Jesus with all of their heart. And they've been given the gift of giving because God can trust them with their wealth. Because they realize that it's really not theirs, that it belongs to God. And so God keeps adding to it and increasing it. And then they keep using their wealth to advance the cause of Christ. So it's just not true. Uh, and this preacher is a liar. And uh, Omo, I, I mean, the, I get angry, as you can tell, even right now. I get angry with things like this. So please, you step in and help your grandfather and if uh, uh i he probably doesn't know who I am from Adam, however, I would be more than willing to talk to him and uh, and let him know that he needs to stop dispensing with his assets uh Those are the assets that are going to go uh and some of it should go to the Lord, but not while he's still alive there's family members there's surviving spouses at some times. there's children and grandchildren. And, um, you know, part of the cycle of life is passing some of those assets down to our children when we go to be with Jesus. So please, 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 I know you're praying for him, but help him a lot. Did I say that stuff makes me mad? Man, that just, I. I when when Jesus is misrepresented to that degree, and as a pastor, I've had to deal with that for so many years, and I've seen the the damage. Um, I've seen people worry themselves to death over stuff like this, and it's just false and doesn't represent Jesus. Let me take a breath. <sighs> okay, next question. This one is from Mark. Uh, Mark says, Pastor, I know people who say Jesus appears to them in person, and others say who speaks to them audibly. Uh, he doesn't do that for me. Why? Well, Mark, uh, the truth is that the people who say Jesus appears to them in person, or those who say he speaks to them audibly, are probably not telling the truth. Now, there's biblical precedence for Jesus appearing to people. He appeared to the Apostle Paul. But Paul says he was one abnormally born. I mean, this was a, an appointment from heaven for, for Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But 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 Jesus just doesn't do that. We couldn't see Jesus. Now, he appears in dreams and visions to people, but usually those are people in foreign countries, people that don't have much exposure to to the word of God, uh, people that are seeking God, maybe in in other religions, false religions, and God rewards their seeking, uh, especially in areas where converting to Christianity uh, could cost you your life. And if not cost your life, he could cause you to be persecuted, uh, unreasonably so. And Jesus will appear to people in a vision or in a dream just because they need to know that he's real. But regular people, Mark, Jesus doesn't appear to him in person. And Jesus doesn't speak to us audibly. We couldn't stand in the presence of that kind of holiness. So what I'm trying to communicate to you, Mark, is don't worry that he doesn't do that for you because he doesn't do that for anyone. And we get these crazy charismatic churches, people who are poorly taught the Bible, and they just believe these stories. I remember when I first got saved, Mark, uh, I just assumed everybody inside the church was telling the truth. And I found out that was not true. And it really, really broke my heart. And, And yet... The realist in me had to deal with. Well, why would they be lying? And a lot of times, people just want to feel more spiritual or appear more spiritual than they are. And uh, it is a a sin. They shouldn't do it. But um, the bad fruit from it is people like you, Mark, who stress out over why Jesus won't appear to you. Let me tell you a funny story on myself. A little embarrassing, but funny nonetheless. I I, for years, when I read of Paul's trip to heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, for years and years and years and years, I would pray every night as I go to bed, Lord, um, take me to heaven to see you. You know, I had so much going on in my life, and I just thought, well, how do I know I'm in the will of God? Or even as a pastor, when we began, you know, how do I know I'm making the right decisions? Um, uh, Did I hear from God, or is this for me? And when circumstances made it appear as though... Uh, things were, um, like, made it appear like I'd frankly made some horrible choices. i just say, Lord, I know I'm not worthy. I'm not the Apostle Paul. But take me to heaven just so I can know if I'm doing the right thing. Tell me yes, tell me no. I'll repent, I'll change direction, anything. But I need to know uh, all those years of praying, and I mean nightly, he never came and took me to heaven. The Apostle Paul even said he wasn't permitted to tell others about the things that he'd seen and heard. And yet people falsely and boastfully brag about Jesus appearing to them in person. Mark, you are the case that's normal, they're not. So I hope that comforts you a little bit, Mark. Thanks very much. Neil asks, how do Jews receive forgiveness if there is no sacrifice for sins? Uh, Obviously, Neil, they don't. Uh, There is no forgiveness apart from Jesus Christ. We know that. Uh, Jews who don't know that on the Day of Atonement, uh, the day where sacrifices for their sins were given, uh, they no longer do that. They've kind of come up with the idea that the Day of Atonement is turned into a day of reflection, where figuratively speaking, they cast their sins in the deepest darkest sea, and God accepts their contrite heart, and then everything is okay for another year. But that's not forgiveness of sins. So the Hebrew Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, no forgiveness of sins. No blood, no forgiveness. And since there's no blood, they're still lost in their sins. Tradition, religious ritual, none of it makes up for the blood, the only blood that could wipe away sins. Thank you, Neil, for the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Neil, one other thought. I get a lot of heat every time I answer a question about Jews. No, they're God's people. They don't need Jesus to get saved. They do. They do. If they didn't, what Paul wrote in the first four verses of Romans chapter 9 would make no sense at all. And so um, Jews need to get saved just like everybody else. Here's a question from Darren. Is it necessary to speak in tongues to be saved? Darren, the answer is no, it's not. Uh, Again, with wildly charismatic churches, they believe that everybody speaks in tongues. And if you uh, don't, Uh, speak in tongues and you're not filled with the Spirit. The problem with that, of course, is Jesus said if you uh, don't have the Spirit of God, you have no part of Him. So, um, no, you don't have to speak in tongues to be saved. It is also not true that you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit. And again, because of bad Bible study, bad Bible scholarship, well, in the book of in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, everybody spoke in tongues at the same time, but but that was just that one time. That was the entrance of the Holy Spirit into the world to establish the church. So, sort of like a grand entrance, you only have to have a grand entrance one grand time, and the Holy Spirit did it. It's also interesting, Darren, that people who believe that or 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 uh, keep this false teaching going they don't say anything about, you have to see cloven tongues of fire or hear the sound of a rushing wind because all of that happened at the same time. Tongues is a gift. First Corinthians chapter 12 and then again in chapter 14 makes it clear that not everyone will speak in tongues. Now, I have a very strong opinion about the gift of tongues. It is a very valuable gift. God wants us to exercise it and I do believe with all of my heart that God would give it to everyone who asked and received by faith. But the reality is, and people say, well, what's your, your, your biblical passage for? You. Paul said, I would that you all spoke in tongues more than I do. Paul spoke in tongues. I have the gift of tongues. And I think it's one of those gifts. It's, it's a vertical gift. that edifies the believer's relationship to God. It often is accompanied by the gift of interpretation, but I don't have the gift of interpretation, but I still use the gift of tongues. And I know I'm praying in the will of God, even though I don't know what I'm praying. Well, that's what faith is all about. And I believe, Darren, that everybody who would receive the gift by faith, and you do that, nothing weird happens. It doesn't have to be a goosebump experience, although it can be. But it's just one of those things where, okay, Lord, your word says that if I ask for good gifts, you give the Holy Spirit to those who obey. I want the gift of tongues. And then if you will walk in that gift by faith, I think God will develop the gift. Now, the minute we start speaking in tongues, the enemy lies. That's not you. You're just making it up. Um, you know, that, that can't be from God. That's silly. It's illogical. And I think a lot of people just don't have the faith to cross that line. Again, I want to say this clearly. I believe God will give the gift of tongues to anybody who who will, by faith, receive it and practice it. It's not like when I speak in tongues, this power comes over me and I can't help myself. We need to remember that self-control is also a fruit of the Spirit. But it's a gift, and when I decide to use it, I know that I'm in the perfect will of God. And I'm okay to trust God if I don't understand what I am saying. I've asked for the gift of interpretation, as we're told to, but haven't received that. But the gift of tongues is an important personal gift that edifies, strengthens your relationship with our God. But having said that, people that do not speak in tongues have not received the gift They still have all the Holy Spirit they can, and in their lives, no doubt, they're demonstrating a lot of spiritual gifts. It's just that one doesn't make sense to them. They can't receive it. But you don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit. You don't have to to speak in tongues to be saved. It is a gift for us to enjoy, given by a Father who loves us infinitely so. You know, Darren, when uh, I got saved, uh, I got the gift of tongues uh, pretty quickly. I, I don't remember the exact time frame, but but it was, I think, weeks rather than months. And I received the gift of tongues. And uh, Paula didn't have the gift of tongues, and she'd been saved for a long time. She'd prayed for me for 13 years. But um, um, we went to a church. It was a false teaching church, and I didn't know what was false teaching back then. But um, they basically said that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. You don't belong to Jesus. And so at the end, they gave an invitation to get saved, to become a member of the church, and to get the gift of tongues. And And Paula went forward. I was proud of her for going forward. Uh, but but they took her in a room, and the words they used were going to prime the pump. In other words, they're going to yabba dabba do, yabba dabba yabba dabba and, and that's what I call speaking in tongues falsely like that. Um, and, and, and they were putting pressure on Paula, squeezing her shoulder, getting really close to her and telling her to say things. And finally, she just said something to to, to get out of it. And they all congratulated themselves like, like well, we got another convert. Uh, and, and that bothered Paula. And she was torn up because she just said, well, why didn't I get it? If God would give it to me, what's wrong with me kind of thing? and and we just decided okay i I didn't have any answers and i'm a brand new christian and i just told her i said look we trust god he's going to give you the gift and i came home one day from work and she'd been in the bathtub for hours i don't know how many hours she just said hours and had a candle lit she wanted to meet with the lord And she was speaking in tongues like crazy. God gave her the gift just because he knew that at that point she really needed it. And um, obviously you have the gift, you always have it. So I hope uh, that answers your question, Darren. Just go to church with an open Bible and this kind of stuff won't affect you. 340-9585, 340 and we would love to have your calls and questions. You're more interesting than I am. We've got about four minutes left, I think, in this half of the program. Gene asks the question, Pastor what is the biblical view of transgenderism? Gene, um, um, transgenderism, uh, uh, I, I'm biologically a male, but God Uh, made a mistake, I feel like I'm a female and I identify as female. That's what transgenderism is. And, of course, it goes the other way around as well, Uh, is is an affront to God. We are made in the image of God to suggest that God made a mistake. Now, again, these are unbelievers. You won't find transgendered Christians. Now, you may find Christian men who are more feminine in in mannerism, but, but they don't claim to be women. You may find uh, Christian women who are, when I grew up, we call it tomboyish, uh, but they don't identify as men. They accept with joy the biological gender that God gave to them. And this is the easiest question in history to resolve. Now, if everybody would just for a moment block out the noise of this world, don't worry about being politically or socially correct. But just think logically for a moment. If you have male chromosomes or female chromosomes, no matter what you do or what you think or how you feel, you are the gender that those chromosomes represent. It's simple, you have male plumbing, you're a boy. If you have female plumbing, you're a girl. And changing that in your mind doesn't change anything physically. There's no transformation that occurs. And so it is impossible to be transgender and to be a born-again Christian unless you have repented and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and given your heart to Jesus Christ. It's that simple. And, Gene, the real tragedy of this is that now that this is so widely accepted and, man, you are shouted down, you're canceled in this cancel culture world that we live in, Uh, You you put something like this on social media and you get viscerated as a result. Um, um, We can't let the world that is anti-God affect those of us who belong to him. Imagine the gall of saying, Jesus, you made a mistake. I'm born a male, but I feel like a female. And we're not helping people because, again, the tragedy is that when their life doesn't change, when circumstances get worse rather than better, when mentally they get more and more confused, and their their troubles, instead of going away, their troubles just uh, accelerate, um, we're going to have a whole bunch of people trying to kill themselves because the thing that they thought would make them better didn't. So... Real simple, Gene. You cannot be transgender or transgender affirming, um, and and claim to to be a follower of Christ. Remember, to be a Christian, we have to agree with Jesus Christ. God made man, and He made woman. He didn't make it in between. So that's the biblical view of transgenderism. The same thing is true of homosexuality. Uh, the same thing is true, Gene of other things we have just decided the bible doesn't know anything about god uh, that the bible can't be trusted and we've allowed people and their feelings to consume them and now the rest of us in this world and those of us who simply won't play along uh, we get hammered by the world out there and it's just the way it is just the way it is Uh, friend of mine here at church had an experience today i won't have time to share it now so i'm glad the music came thank you jesus for saving me hey we'd love your live calls and questions 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR we'll be back in two minutes
0: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron
2: Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585. Eric from Kerrville on Line 1, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
0: You know, I lived in California for a while, and I went to this church, and um There was this guy there who was a a member of the
2: church, and while he was there, he transitioned into this female, and he got ostracized for it, but come to find out, the guy was a hermaphrodite. I mean, and you know, the Bible doesn't talk about that. What's going on with that? You know, he, he actually had both male and female organs, but the male organ didn't work. And so, Eric, your position—your position—is your position that the the one tenth of, or one one hundredth, or one one thousandth of one percent of people who are born as a result of the fall with dual sex organs—is uh, justification for um, the numbers of people that are claiming to be transgender now. Eric, I don't think that's an honest argument. I, I appreciate you calling, but no, I don't I'm think that saying, is an. Uh, what are you I'm saying? Not saying this. What I'm saying is, how come the Bible doesn't talk about that? I mean, because because it's so rare, Eric, that it doesn't. The Bible's about Jesus. The Bible is not about our sexuality, other than how to use it in a way that honors God. And uh, the you know, the Bible is not a book that tells us about uh, splitting atoms. Uh, the Bible is the book that tells us about sending uh, rocket ships to to outer space. Either we do that, uh, there are genetic abnormalities that occur. Remember, the world was created perfect. So was Adam and Eve. And when sin entered the world, the fallen world, those are the kinds of things that, that occurred. So... Um, it's, it's, it's like somebody who's born with Down syndrome or somebody who's born. uh, I had a baby brother who was born with encephalitis. His brain was on the outside of his head. Um, we have babies born with defects all the time. Those are things that happen in a fallen world, but it has nothing whatsoever to do with the argument on whether or not somebody is transgender. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the call. 340-9585 Three four zero ninety five eighty five 9585 for your live calls and questions. One of the difficulties in discussing this from a biblical point of view is there's always going to be somebody who is going to throw up that one exception that they read about in some obscure online place. Um, the truth is sexuality is easy to understand uh, if we are in Christ. If we're not in Christ, then we're going to pervert our sexuality uh, like we do everything else. Here's a question from Fred. He says, "Uh, Pastor Ron, in my old church, I'm now out. We were told to have big faith always growing, but Jesus said we need mustard seed faith, a small amount. Why is the difference, and why did Jesus talk about moving mountains? Fred, I actually love this question, and I thank you for it. Our faith from the day we receive Jesus Christ and begin walking with him ought always to be growing. It ought always to be growing. Now, I'm not talking about saving faith, because once we're saved, that's the faith that that was once and for all delivered for the saints. It's the faith that saves because God has given us grace, unmerited favor. Um, so we have faith to be saved. And and all we have to do is respond to that little bit of faith as the Spirit of God comes alongside us. But from that point forward, Fred... Our faith needs always to be growing. We need to be exercising our faith. We need to be practicing trusting Jesus. And that's what living faith is. Not saving faith, but living faith is actively trusting God. That means when God sends you in a direction or God gives you a a spiritual gift, he expects us to use it. Um, He asks us to take little tiny steps of faith. And as we take those steps of faith and God blesses those steps of faith, then we theoretically should have greater faith the next time he asks us to do something. So I'm grateful that Jesus said we only need small faith, mustard seed faith. I'm grateful because that's where all of us begin. But then as we begin trusting Jesus every day, well, that's when our tests come. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2 says, it's required that every man and I would add woman given a trust by God must prove faithful. So that means we're always going to be tested. And the more you trust Jesus, the more you step out in faith, the difference in the places he leads you are enormous. Paula was sharing this story on the radio program, I think just a little over a week ago, when, when uh, the Lord asked us uh, to, uh, to pay for somebody else's radio program uh, when we couldn't even pay rent when we first got here. And she, was, she thought I was crazy, but I knew that's what God wanted. She went in, God, you got to talk to this man kind of thing. But but we took that step of faith. Now it seems silly. It was like $400 a month. Or no, it was $600 a month. But, But it, it seems silly because we've taken so many huge steps of faith now. But you see, it was those little steps of faith at the beginning that helped our faith grow. So we could be at the place that we are now. So whether you're a church, whether you're a, a, an individual, we all of us need to walk by faith rather than by sight. And when we do that, God is pleased with us according to the negative uh, version of Hebrews eleven six. And when he's pleased with you, he goes before you and he does marvelous things and you begin to experience his power. I tell Fred, I tell our church here all the time, that um, um, unless God is moving through you, not just upon you, but moving through you, you never get to see the hand of God move. But once you see the hand of God moving through you, it creates an appetite, a spiritual appetite that says, I want more. I want more. And I'll just speak personally for for me and our church, Fred. um, I, I can't imagine that God would ask me anything now that I would say no to. One, I know he's the Lord. I can't say no. But but I mean, even if I'm terrified, and I'm terrified a lot, I can't imagine God saying, uh, Ron, I want you to do this. And me saying, but Lord, I'm too afraid. I just can't imagine how this could be possible. And because I've said yes, I've been able to see now for 30 years the hand of God move through me. And that's not boasting on anything or anyone but Jesus. But we're the vessels that he uses, and we've got to take those steps of faith, and our faith needs always to be growing. So your church was right if the context that they were saying it is what I'm talking about. Uh we need big faith. I I, I want to I want to trust God for the impossible. That's not name it and claim it. That's just simply saying, okay, Lord. Everything is possible with you. And I want to be right at the vanguard of anything you do. And so, Lord, what about me and what about today? And if we'll do that, I promise you, Fred, your faith will grow. Now, as to why Jesus talked about moving mountains, and I appreciate that you brought this up, Um, that's a very Jewish idiom. Uh, Biblically, you can go to the prophecy of Zechariah. I think it's chapter 9 or 10. I'm not sure. Exactly. But um, um, that's where moving the mountain comes from. Jewish people thought of problems as these these huge mountains. And that's why Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say that mountain, move thee, be cast thou into the sea, and that mountain will move. Jesus didn't care about moving mountains, but he's talking about moving the impossible circumstances, those roadblocks to faith. And Jesus will move him right out of the way. All we have to do is have just a little bit of faith, and then our faith will grow. Nehemiah is a good example of that, Fred, because in Nehemiah, when I, God gave him this burden for uh, the, the condition of his city, they were defenseless, the walls were torn down. And Nehemiah went to, uh, went to Jerusalem, and he went out all by himself at night uh, when he first got there. He was on horseback, and he took a survey of the, the walls, the, the terrible condition they were in, the walls in the ancient world were the only way cities could defend themselves from invading armies. And the walls were completely destroyed and uh, And he went out to look at it and it was one of those moments where he was saying, okay, Lord, this looks impossible. I can't do this. Maybe I bit off more than I could chew, but I'm here because you sent me. And that impossible condition of the wall um, was met with a miraculous move of God's Spirit. And that's what God wants us to do by faith. So Fred, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Here's an anonymous question. It says for believers, Pastor Ron, what do you think about prenuptial contracts? Um, Anonymous, I'm not a fan of them. I I think if you um, don't understand that in a marriage, a Christian marriage, two become one. It doesn't say two become one, but one gets to keep their stuff from before they became one. Um, uh, I think if you are unwilling to trust that this is the man or the woman that God asked you to marry, uh, I think there ought not to be a prenuptial agreement. Uh, I think if you have that kind of concern or suspicion, you probably have some issues to work out before you get married. Now, I understand why unbelievers do this. But for the life of me, Anonymous, I do not understand why believers would ever even consider something. We go through marriage counseling here, pre-marriage counseling. And I tell people if they, even have, if they intend to have a separate checking accounts, separate savings accounts, this is mine, this is his, this is mine, this is hers. If that's the case, you're not ready to get married yet. When you become one flesh, then everything becomes yours in common. In serving God, you remember you're promising him to stay married forever. So there ought not to be a prenuptial contract. Again, I understand the practical value of a prenuptial contract for an unbeliever. I understand why they're asked for when somebody's trying to protect their assets. But most of the time, let me rephrase, much of the time, those people have been married and divorced before, and uh, they're trying to protect themselves. And uh, because they're unbelievers, they don't know the only way to protect themselves is to walk in the perfect will of God. So, not a fan, as you can discern. Here is a question from Kendra. Kendra says, "What are your thoughts on apparitions like Mary at Fatima? Uh, are they real?" Uh, Kindra, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be careful how I phrase this. I think they are real, but I don't think they are heavenly. I think they are demonic. Um, we know that because those apparitions, the, the 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 instruction that's given, the visions that are seen, uh, are um, instructions that contradict the word of God uh, to worship Mary. Mary. If she did appear, would never say that. Worship him in her Magnificat. She called him her Savior, her Lord. If that's the case, she was a sinner who needed to be saved. And, um, you know, there's just not a lot of... um, There's not a lot of value in the fact that so many people claim to see them and have these apparitions. The devil is busy. And he's trying to confuse people, and I think um, he does so in places where Jesus isn't known or places, in this case, where Catholicism is the primary religion. Um, So they're they're simply not true. Um, If Mary um, had a voice here, she would say what she said at the wedding in Cana. Do what he says. (laughs) That's what she said about Jesus. Do what he tells you to do. That would be if she, had, if there was a, a, an occasion for her to have a real appearance. That's what she would say. Do what he says. Even the father, by the way, on the Mount of Transfiguration, had the same message. This is my son in whom I'm pleased. Listen to him. You see, Jesus is the message from heaven. We don't need any more messages from heaven at all. So, Kendra, I hope that answers your question. Um, Gregory asks, I know you are not a Calvinist, so does that make you Armenian in your theology? Um, Gregory, you err because you're, you're given to extremes. Um, Calvinism is an extreme, five-point Calvinism is an extreme, and Armenianism is an extreme. The the truth is found in the middle. The balance is always where you're going to find the truth. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not an Arminian. In my theology at all. Uh, if you read the Bible, you will find that perfect balance. Don't don't read it with a, a spiritual of Cal, or I'm sorry a, a, a filter of of Calvinism or a filter of Arminianism. Just read it. And take what it says, I have no problem telling somebody uh, that uh, if you're really born again, then you're secure in Christ. Jesus has you. He, he He's never lost anyone that God has given him. The Father has given him. But I also don't have any tension when I can tell somebody who's living in open sin, quoting from Galatians chapter 5 or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that if you live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're given to the extremes then you, 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 you cease to be able to think about that meeting place, that middle ground. And that middle ground is always where Jesus meets us. That's the truth. So I am not a Calvinist. You are correct. I'm not Arminian. And you don't have to be one or the other. And if you are either of those positions uh, doctrinally, then you've taken an extreme position and you're going to find there's all kinds of holes in it. There's all kinds of problems. Eric says, does Matthew 14 and 15, I think he means 14 verse 15, imply that forgiving others is required for salvation? Eric, uh, no, it doesn't imply at all that forgiving others is required for salvation. What it assumes is that if if you're really a Christian, that forgiving is something that you would do. I mean, if we've been forgiven of so much, why would we be unwilling to forgive others? This is very important. If you read Paul's epistles, uh, they, he makes the same assumption. He assumes obedience. Jesus is simply saying that when you belong to the kingdom of God, you who have been forgiven of so much, you will then be a forgiver of others regardless of what it is that they've done. And I think what Jesus is saying, if you, if you, if you don't forgive others who have sinned against you, then your Father in Heaven will not forgive you. I think that's Jesus' way of saying, wait a minute, there's no fruit of being a believer, so you're not forgiven. So I think that's what it means. It assumes we ought to be eager and complete forgivers of other people. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You are on the air.
1: ron how are you today
2: today? i'm well cindy thank you
1: okay you know i was reading in luke uh luke 12 uh, chapter 12 verse 38 it says um even if jesus were to come in the second or the third watch of the night and i was curious as to what is the second and the third watch and by the way, last two Sundays were so good. Sunday, not this Sunday, but the one before that, it's probably a part of Scripture that I've read, you know, a lot of times, but it just, you know, it's just kind of, um, you know, I just kind of went in went one in air and, and flew out the other, but you put so much meaning into it. This past couple Sundays, those Scriptures are kind of, not boring, but just sort of there, but you brought them alive and brought so much meaning and encouragement in them and I've just been thinking about them the past uh, couple of weeks, so anyways, I just wanted to tell you that I'm going to get off uh, thank you. and listen to your answer bye oh,
2: okay. thank Thank you, Cindy. God bless um, <laughs> i'm I'm really i'm I never fish for compliments, but I'm really grateful she said that because i just finished before coming on the air um the study for this coming sunday and frankly it's kind of boring <laughs> you know so uh, i'm hoping the holy spirit will do something and bring it bring make it living as well um Cindy, when he says it'll be good for those service this is a parable uh and he's he's urging uh readiness um waiting and in, in, in eagerly so for the return of their master Um, but if the master finds them ready, it'll be good for them. Even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night, that just means late. You know, late at night, um, the second watch in the evening would be, um, say, um, um, six o'clock until nine o'clock. The third watch would be, um, or the fourth watch actually, would be um, um, into the morning hours until six o'clock in the morning, or dawn, remember the day for a Jew was different um than 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 the way we view days. They started in the evening at dusk, uh and we we start a day in the morning when we wake up with sunrise. Um but they would um you know the, the, the servant who is asleep at night um wouldn't, wouldn't find their wouldn't be ready when their master comes. Uh the servant who is watching for the master Um, would be ready for him to come. And and Jesus said it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. So the second or third watch of night, he's just implying that instead of being asleep, we ought to be awake, alert, ready for Jesus to come. Thank you, Cindy. I am, um, before I go to the next question, um, we've had uh, just this overwhelming sense um, and I'm not naming dates or naming times, but but I feel like the time is so short, and i keep I keep warning the church here at Calvary to to, to be ready, to be on guard. Um, don't go to sleep spiritually. Make the most of your time. Paul says redeeming the time, because the the hour, the day is short. And I, I just think, uh, Cindy, for you and for the rest of the audience. We need to have a greater awareness of Jesus's soon return. I, it's, it's, there's such a, an urgency now in my in my heart and mind, and I've always been urgent about this. But it's it's almost like God has ratcheted it up, and 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 as it becomes more urgent, I find myself longing to be in His presence more and more and more. So. Um, that's the faithful servant. Here is the last question of the day. Anonymous, my church no longer teaches the Bible. has become more seeker-friendly. I've talked to a couple of the pastors, and they say the head pastor is the one with the authority. He won't talk with me, so what should I do? Uh, anonymous, um, it's always good to, to, to be persistent in making an appointment. Uh, with the, the the head pastor, if he's the one with the authority. And just explain when you call for appointment. Say, well, I've talked to some of the other pastors and they tell me I've got to talk to you. And since you're the one with the authority, uh, you're the one I'd like to talk to. So I won't take much of your time. I'll be respectful. Um, but I think pastors need to know uh, what's going on in their church and what people are, are thinking. Um, you know, um, short of that, It's time to find a new church. You know, again, we live in a time when people are going to seek teachers who will tickle their ears, who won't tell them the truth, because the truth is hard to deal with. And there are going to be then pastors and and church leaders who, because they want the seats full and they want the offering boxes full, they're going to be... Um, pastors willing to oblige them. I mean, the biggest church in Texas is 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 worse than a seeker church. Never any bad news. He never deals with sin or repentance. And what we've got to do is is we got to decide that that that's not the kind of food I want to partake of. So uh, I'm sad for you that your church has gone from teaching the Bible to being seeker friendly. Um, but now you need to be seeker friendly. You seek Jesus. And let Jesus be the one who leads and guides and directs you. And he'll take you to a church, uh, Anonymous, that, that will be faithful to teach the Bible. And there's so many of them. You know, we get the calls about the secret churches and the churches that are false teaching churches. But there are a lot of faithful pastors, and they're not necessarily in big churches, but there's a lot of faithful pastors who are going to break down the word verse by verse. And sometimes they're going to do it. They do it differently than we do here, which is fine. But um, you can find solid Bible teaching wherever it is that you live. So it's time to separate from your old church and let the Lord um, invigorate you. With, with doctrine invigorate you with um, directions and instructions uh, I, I think that's important so I know it's hard to say goodbye to old friends and old churches but um, try to talk to the head pastor um, but he's probably not going to change the decision they've made to become seeker friendly uh, so what you do is you go out and you find a church that will equip you to do the work of ministry so that's the last question for today um Remember tonight at 9 o'clock, we have our men's and women's and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock. I said 9 o'clock, but I meant 7 o'clock. At 7 o'clock, the ladies are going to do a retreat reflection. It's always a blessing to hear what they have to say about what the Lord spoke to their hearts while they were away. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.